Uh, and last week, if you were here, we went through a whole diagram of pictures, uh, about 70 of them. So I am not a very good hand writer or picture drawer. So if you were not able to read things, which I know some of you weren't, uh, just give me your email. A couple of people gave me your email last week, and I sent you the link to all those pictures. You can have the slideshow and uh, decipher for yourself rather than trying to see it from there. And if you can't read it, you can just ask me because you probably still can't. I don't have good handwriting. But we looked uh, at a diagram representing us as humans, how we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit, and how when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we put our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, our spirit is alive. We are reborn. We are born again, as it's described in John 3.3. We were looking at Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Went through that beginning part and talked about this baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes when we accept Jesus Christ. Acts was kind of a natural progression as we came from Palm Sunday and, uh, and uh, Easter Sunday. The following week, we were in the book of Acts, which is the first volume that Luke wrote, the Gospel of Acts. And the second volume Luke wrote is, uh, or sorry, the Gospel of Luke was the first volume that Luke wrote. And Acts is the second volume that Luke wrote. So it was a natural progression to go into verses 1 through 5 to look at the Holy Spirit coming and what that looks like. Acts 1, verses 6 to 14. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. God, while we are here worshiping you uh, in this service, in this time together as Gateway Downtown, we do pray and thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit coming down, being poured down on us. Thank you for our ability to connect with you and to adore you through worship. We love you, praise you. And, and God, I just want to pray this morning that not only uh, will our ears be open, but our hearts will be open as well. We talk through what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. pray all these things. Be seated. Uh, so here we're picking up in Acts with the conversation between the disciples and Jesus. This is after uh, 40 days of class. I could almost say Jesus spent 40 days teaching on the kingdom of God with all of the disciples. So these 40 days, this giant seminar um, was was going on, and uh, and we see this question after all of this learning, these 40 days intensive with Jesus teaching them about the kingdom of God. They ask Jesus now, is this now the time that Israel will be restored? So Jesus, in his graciousness, is not looking down on them for this question. He's not saying, well, I just taught for 40 days and failed. You're completely wrong. 
Um, he doesn't say that, but in his, uh, in, I would call it graciousness and maybe in his mercy, uh, he just points out to them that they have a little bit of that wrong. It's not that Jesus won't be at one point restoring Israel. It's just the timing. They aren't understanding that this timing, they are not to know. They don't have to know. Okay, he's telling them, don't worry about it. That is not for you to know. Okay, and this sounds a little strange the first time I read through it. I thought, this is weird. Why is Jesus just telling them, um, no, you can't know that? Because what have I been saying often? I've been saying that our faith and our thought are not on opposite sides of the spectrum. They should be together. And so here we see they're asking a question, and he's just saying, don't worry about it. Is that fair? Does that make sense? I just read it and thought it seemed a little strange. It's not just that we can't know what it is, but he's telling us that we shouldn't know. And when I thought about it, I thought about it kind of in this way, about tragedies or bad things that happen in my life. I could not handle knowing that. If I knew the day, the time, and the place that I was going to die, I would be completely paralyzed in life. I would make sure I never went to that place. I would make sure that didn't happen. I wouldn't be able to handle knowing when I was going to die. Or if you're married, when your spouse is going to die, you wouldn't be able to handle that. You wouldn't be able to handle knowing uh, that pretty soon your kid is going to think he's Superman, jump off the roof and break his arm. You would be trying to prevent all these things and you couldn't do it. And there are some things in life, these seasons, these times that we can't know because we wouldn't know how to deal with it. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. The time of this, these seasons, these times are not for you to know. They're for the Father. The Father knows. But you can live. This should not paralyze you. You need to live even though you know that you don't know these times. And so the word that we see next uh, in verse 8 is but. All of these things you won't know. You can't know. You shouldn't know. But this ever-important word, Jesus tells us that there is a reason to live our life, and it's not just to live aimlessly, just because I don't know what's going to happen next doesn't mean I should just mope around and do nothing. No, that's not what's going on here. Uh, I talk about this with my cousin a lot, actually. Uh, I meet with him in in discipleship, and we talk a lot about rather than being reactive in life, being proactive in our faith. If we are not actively engaged, if we're not being proactive in aspects of our life, then things will decay. In your marriage, if you are not being proactive, if you're just being reactive, if you're waiting for problems to come and to happen before you do something about it, then that's not going to be very good Holy Spirit living. That's going to bring you down. Be proactive in your faith. Get into the word together often with your boss, with people at work, with people that you know. Don't just get together for dinner, but be proactive and asking good questions to the people that you're going to dinner with. Be proactive in it. And how do we do this? We do this by verse 8. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So what I want to look at is what is verse 8 teaching us about the Holy Spirit? Personally, was it teaching us for Gateway downtown? Was it teaching us... uh, about the Holy Spirit for the world. I think we see the Holy Spirit providing a few different things uh, through this verse, so we're going to talk about each one of them. The first thing, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us power. The second thing, the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses. And the third thing, the Holy Spirit will move the ends of the earth. 
So these three things we'll talk about. First of all, uh, verse 8 tells us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When, uh, as we talked about last week, we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we decide that Jesus will be the ruler of my life rather than myself. That Jesus fills my spirit. It was dead. And instead of attempting to fill that void with things of the earth, I'm filling it and finding fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The awe-inspiring miracle of the spiritual baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit to be indwelt with you gives you power. Notice this isn't power to know what's going to happen next. This isn't to see the future, to know the times and the seasons. Only the Father knows that. But this is the power to live a Christ-centered life. So our lives, the way that we live our life before we know Christ, we are sitting on our own throne. I'm in, I am my own king. I am my own God, you could even say, my own Lord. And I am doing whatever I want because I am sitting on the throne. And Jesus is outside of my life. He is not on the seat at all. And so what we're doing, what we talked about last week when we received the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, I am removing myself from that throne. I am allowing Jesus into my life. And I am stepping away from the throne. I am putting Jesus on the throne. And I am now living for him. This is a Christ-centered life. A life centered around Jesus on the throne rather than myself. And so with Jesus on the throne, I can now surrender my life and I can be led by his life. And how is this possible? It's, po- it's possible because of the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not easy. And I think Galatians is a good book to go through uh, some parts of the Holy Spirit here and, and why it is difficult to live a Christ-centered life. Galatians 3.3 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and he's pointing out to them, you cannot do this in your own efforts. Yes, you have accepted Christ. Christ is now in your life, but he's not sitting on your throne right now. You're thinking that the flesh is going to help you in life? No, that'll, that'll never happen. He continues in Galatians 5.17. tells us, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So if the flesh opposes the spirit, the only way to live in freedom from this broken, sinful, fallen world is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his power because it is at conflict with our flesh, which we have. So we can continue a little bit here in Galatians. So if the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, we have some buts through some of these verses. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have crucified our flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now follow Christ. And this is our life of sanctification. Sanctification or becoming more like Christ. That is the definition, um, I would say, of what sanctification is. The Holy Spirit in us sanctifies us and makes us more like Christ. This happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't fun and it's not easy. I remember, I mean, I don't know if I really understood the concept of sanctification uh, or how 
in-depth infused it was in life until I was in, in a van. Um, it was at some point in a, in a conference, a meteor conference, while I was working with crew. And uh, somebody was in the back, and he was listening to music, and I asked him what he was listening to. I was listening to this podcast, and, and I asked him, oh, well, what music do you listen to? And he says, oh, well, I don't listen to music anymore. I said, what do you mean you don't listen to music? What's wrong with music? He said, well, it was just something that I, you know, decided that was taking up too much of my life. And then I got beside him and was like, yeah, that's sanctification right there. And I was like, oh, okay. So sanctification, sanctifying, becoming more like Christ for him, he was feeling compelled to quit and get away from this lifestyle that he was in, entrenched in music that wasn't benefiting his spirit. So sanctification, the process of Christ in him, had taken him away from that. I thought, okay, that's how Christ works. That's how the Holy Spirit is working. The power allows us to see things that should be changed in our lives, and we change it. And it looks different for different people, and it looks different for you at different times of your life. We have seasons, we have times where God, the Holy Spirit, is leading us to do something. The power of the Holy Spirit is telling us so we can obey it or we cannot. But to obey it is to succeed. And it might seem like foolishness to the world to obey the Spirit. But it's what we have to do. Sanctification, Galatians 2.20, tells us that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it is not you that lives. It is Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Sanctification was touched on last week through another verse. Uh, it was the one verse that I forgot to write down in that. Uh, let's read it, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the, whole, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with the Holy Spirit, I have the power to be blameless. Everything, body, soul, and spirit. And so to live by the Spirit happens through faith. My favorite visual for this comes from uh, Bill Bright. He actually started the organization that I worked with, Crew. And uh, he might be known for this as much as anything else. It's, it's this visual, this concept of spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing in our moment-by-moment -moment dependence on the Holy Spirit. So exhaling is as soon as we feel temptation or sin, we exhale, we confess our sin the moment that we are aware of it. And we agree with God concerning it. We agree with God realizing that it is wrong. Holy Spirit gave me power to realize this isn't right. We agree with him concerning it, and we ask God for forgiveness as we're exhaling. And then we inhale, the surrender, we surrender the control of Jesus in our life. We rely on the Holy Spirit to fill us with his presence, by his power, by faith, according to his command and promise. So we exhale as soon as we feel this temptation, this sin, and then we inhale the Holy Spirit, spiritual breathing. And this sort of life, this power that allows us to even recognize sin is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it is not, one, another thing I want us to realize that is that this is not expected at all to happen with somebody that does not have the Holy Spirit. If somebody didn't have the Holy Spirit and they tried to live this way, it would be impossible. This is one of the problems with religion, 
with traditions, with just going through the motions with things, is that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to help guide you, if you're trying to do these things out of your own efforts, it's impossible. And if you don't know Jesus, then these things all seem like foolishness. They're not worthwhile anyway. I think that takes us to the second point. The second point is that the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses. Okay, the first point, the Holy Spirit gives us power. The second point, the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Based on Jesus telling the disciples that the Holy Spirit comes and makes them witnesses, tells me that the Holy Spirit puts in us the ability and the longing to be witnesses for Christ. It's not just an ability to be a witness, but a longing. With the Holy Spirit, we actually now long to be a witness for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit wants the world to know Jesus And he instills that same thing in you when you receive the Holy Spirit. I heard something that I thought was uh, incredibly insightful from John Piper regarding this. this, He uh, made this distinguishing um, factor between, uh, between what I would call being an advocate or being a witness. Okay, an advocate is somebody, uh, I look, just looking up on Google, uh, credit Google. An advocate is a person who publicly supports or recommends a particular cause or policy. So an advocate is somebody that uh, articulates, they give reasons, they clearly explain what they're promoting. Okay, I don't know if I'm uh, great at this, but I do think I am naturally an advocate in probably every aspect of my life. I think if a part of it is I just think what I do is cool, so everyone else should do it too. So that's my mentality, and that's why I'm an advocate. And there are definitely some people in this church that I know are incredible advocates, um, also for the gospel in particular. There are some people where whatever conversation they're in, if something comes up, they could give you five reasons why the Bible is infallible. They could give you five verses specifically as to why that happens. They can walk you through the exact history of the Bible. They can tell you why exactly, step for step, meeting this person where they are, why they need Jesus and how they can have Jesus. This is an advocate. This is a gift, I think. And I know some people in here are very good advocates for the gospel. That's for sure. And with this, I'm not saying that God is not going to use advocates to bring people to Christ, because he definitely does use advocates. But there's some of us that are sitting here right now, you're thinking, yeah, that's not me. I'm not going to be the one at the dinner table that's going to be able to articulate all of these different things. I don't have that good of a theology, or or maybe I just can't explain the concepts. I mess up my words. I'm not the most articulate. Um, Does that mean that I'm a bad Christ follower, that I'm not a good advocate? Looking at verse 8 lets me say pretty emphatically, no, (laughs) not at all. It's not just advocates bring people to Christ. It's witnesses. Verse 8 is saying that witnesses will do this. Because the Holy Spirit wants the world for Christ, when we have the Holy Spirit, we become a witness. We become evidence of the work of Jesus Christ, and we can testify to the work of Jesus Christ. We are evidence, and we can testify to it. That's what a witness is. So you, Christ follower, first of all, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And second of all, whether you're a skilled advocate or not, you are a witness. And witnesses is what people want to see anyway. In our postmodern culture, people don't just want to hear your testimony as, well, this is what I was, this is what happened to me, and then I found Jesus. 
Well, great. Well, what does that mean for you? People want to know what does knowing Jesus mean for you? And that's what a witness is. They can see it in your life. Well, before, this is a good testimony is, well, this is what I've struggled with. And this is how God, this is how Jesus, this is how the Holy Spirit is helping me through this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I now have power over this. My marriage was struggling, and now through the Holy Spirit, it's getting better. It might not be perfect, but it's getting better. My understanding of relationships, my understanding of the word is getting better through the Holy Spirit. I used to struggle with this, struggle with share things that you struggle with. That means a lot more than just talking about when you came to faith. So the third thing that verse 8 teaches us is that the Holy Spirit will move to the ends of the earth. Uh, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit instills in us the longing that people know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will move to the ends of the earth starting in Jerusalem. Um, I think maybe you've heard this before. You've probably heard this and maybe haven't seen it. Did we put the map on the slide? I don't know if we did or not. Um, but Judea, uh, or Jerusalem is the town, okay, right in the middle. Judea is the region or the state in which they're in. Jerusalem uh, is surrounding it there. Samaria is uh, the state or region uh, just north of it. And then the ends of the earth. We all know what the ends of the earth are. So the Holy Spirit, right, will start in Cleveland. It will move to Ohio and Michigan and then the ends of the earth. Okay? That's what it looks like for us, right? This is what this means for us. Um, well, I'm not saying that that's not right. I'm not saying that that's not true. But I want us to get a bigger, broader perspective of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has already won <laughs> A lot. If the disciples that were there speaking with Jesus in Acts, as we were reading, if they heard that in Cleveland, Ohio, this morning, there was a service where people filled with the Holy Spirit were talking about Jesus, they would say, okay, the ends of the earth have been reached. Cleveland, Ohio is about as end of the earth as an Israelite is going to believe. So the Holy Spirit already has gone to the ends of the earth. And so I'm not saying it doesn't start in Cleveland, go to Ohio, go to Michigan, go to the ends of the earth. I'm saying it already has. I just want us to have a bigger perspective of this and realize that the end of the earth is everybody that doesn't know Jesus. That's our classmate at university. The end of the earth is our neighbor in Tremont. The end of the earth is our boss downtown. That's the end of the earth. It's everybody. It is all-encompassing. Anybody that does not know Christ, the spirit longs that they do. So again... Um, Gateway, this is one of the reasons why I was so excited about our meeting last week. Because we're seeing the need to commit ourselves to evangelism and discipleship. We're seeing how necessary that is in a church plant. I think we can call ourselves a church plant in some ways. We're seeing the need to help the impoverished, the widowed, the, the alien, the outcast. We're seeing the need to do that. And how are we seeing this? The Holy Spirit is revealing that to us. It's a huge sign, sitting in this meeting, seeing all that, it is a huge sign that the Holy Spirit is in us and working through us. And because we have a heart, we are now living, we have a heart living a way that the Holy Spirit is putting in you to win people to Jesus. So when we realize that the Holy Spirit, first of all, gives us power, second of all, makes us witnesses, and third of all, moves to the end of the earth, we as Gateway Downtown, 
will be fulfilling our mission, which is to love God, to live in community, and to serve the city. It's a natural reaction. Those are all an outpouring of what the Holy Spirit has instilled in us as believers. And I know we're pretty much stuck here in in verse 8 for Acts chapter 1. But we will get uh, to the last part in a second. Well, yeah, before we even read uh, the last verses again and go over that, just another maybe practical step or idea of what it looks like to live by the Holy Spirit. I just thought about this as Thomas shared, how in eight days from now we will be prayer walking. Okay, this is something that was very common. It's something I did almost daily uh, when, I was, when I was in Rome. And I was on campus one time, and, and, and I was just walking through praying, being guided by the Holy Spirit. When we walk through Cleveland, when we pray for Cleveland, uh, I also pray that you are um, praying for opportunities to speak with people. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, because the Holy Spirit longs that people know Christ, and he will guide you. So I was walking through campus, and I was praying, and I met this guy that was from, I, I think it was El Salvador or something, but he was in Rome studying, and I'm talking to him. Uh, I don't even know if I want to say I was talking to him. He talked to me. I didn't say a word. We spoke for probably 20 straight minutes. And at the end of those 20 minutes, he said, well, now you know everything about my life. I said, yeah, I do. Well, is there anything, you know, that we can talk? I'm talking about God. And he says, oh, well, yeah, but, I, again, I don't care to talk about God, so I'll probably never see you again and talk to you. I was like, all right. There you go. I'm not sure why I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to talk to this kid other than to make me feel dumb and realize how small I am. That Maybe that was the whole point of this. I don't know. But I got up, and I was walking with him to go get a coffee. And uh, when we walked over, I met his friend uh, right there by the, by the coffee bar. Started talking to him. And he was a pretty devout atheist. And he wasn't an atheist the way that most college students were atheists. Most were uh, said they were Catholic, but that they didn't believe that a God existed. So it was more of a culture for most people. I'd say 99% of people claimed atheism. But he was an atheist, and he actually understood why he thought there was no God. And I met him through this other guy and ended up meeting up with him weekly all the time, sharing the gospel with him every time we met. There were a, a lot, The first time I really shared the gospel all the way through, he said, oh, yeah, that's from one of my favorite bands. And it was some heavy metal rock band that, you can't even understand what they say, but he saw the lyrics on a screen because he watched the video. And he had been hearing, he had heard the seed of the gospel even before he met me, and I just continued talking to him. And by the end of the year, he still didn't accept Jesus Christ, and it was, it was disappointing. Um, because I thought, you know, maybe that was why I met that guy, and I see him all the time. And I, I don't know, but the Holy Spirit it is in your hands. I'm trusting that what you guided me to is good. Um, and then, and it doesn't always happen this way. There's plenty of stories where it didn't happen this way. But uh, within my first month of being back in the States and, and working, I, I uh, set up a, a Skype call with somebody that I worked with. And when I Skyped with him, the friend was there. And he shared with me that he prayed to receive Jesus Christ a week ago. So I was gone. I didn't even get to see it. But he said uh, before he prayed to receive Christ, he remembered that time that we met at the coffee bar after meeting, after I had talked with his friend, and, uh, and he said he just had flashbacks of all these conversations all the way through. And I had decided that they didn't really mean anything because I didn't see him come lately. But that's how it works sometimes. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And he's not asking us to make people Christians. He's asking us to be obedient to him. Holy Spirit living is 
moving. It is acting in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. We can't change people's hearts. We can't change people's minds. Only God can do that. But we can be a witness for that. And that happens by having the Holy Spirit. This happens through our spiritual breathing when we are exhaling things that are wrong and inhaling the promises of God. We are filled more with the Spirit and we can pour out more as well. And this is what we're getting from verse 8. This is the bulk of everything that I wanted to talk about today. But before we leave, let's look at, again, this last verse that we read, um, verse 14. All these things, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were all devoting themselves to prayer while they were... while they were waiting to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, because they were the first to receive the Holy Spirit. They were waiting in prayer. And so we, as a church, want to be in prayer. Go to the upper room and pray together. And that's what we would like to do today, as Thomas shared. We do want to break up into some smaller groups, even now this morning, um, and and pray. Pray for this decision um, on on a space space that we can call our own. I don't know how much we've shared this with the entire church before. Is it okay if I share this right now that we are looking for a space to call our own that we can have 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And this is what the elders have been praying through. This is kind of a vision that we're having, and we do not want to leave downtown. We want to stay in the city. We feel God calling us here. We are compelled to stay in the city and see people in the city come to know Christ. And there is a space that is becoming very serious that has actually uh, come to us and they have expressed an interest in us taking the space that they have. And so we need to not put this just on our elders. We want it to be for the church. We should all be praying. We should be devoting ourselves to prayer. So this morning, let's pray. Um, Let's pray for that. Let's pray for the space, for guidance, whether or not this space is one that we want, if this is where God is calling us to or not. Okay, let's also pray um, as we continue this pastor search. All right? I enjoy being up here, but I also enjoy being back there where you are. And a part of uh, the membership class today was taking our spiritual gift uh, test, and my spiritual gift has not changed. My number one has not changed since the time that I was 12 years old. It is still evangelism. I love being here. I love teaching. That's high on the list, but evangelism is still number one. And so when we have a full-time pastor here, and I will be sitting there again, and I will be involved very heavily with evangelism along with you. You can devote even more of that, my energy to that. And maybe that's selfish, but I want prayer for that. So I selfishly want us to pray for a pastor, somebody that will lead us and guide us and shepherd this flock on a full-time basis because that's what the church needs. So let's break up uh, groups of uh, three to five to seven. Again, praying out loud is not something we are all comfortable with doing, um, but I know we are all comfortable talking to each other, because we proved that very well before I started talking today. Um, And so prayer is, is talking to God. 
sharing with God. There are multiple facets to prayer, and today we do want to intercede, okay, for these decisions, intercede for our leadership in the church so that they can make those decisions. Um, so let's break up right now in groups of three to five, and let's pray for the space, let's pray for the pastor, and let's pray um, for each other to be filled more with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we we wrap up this morning, Lord God, praying as um, individual groups, Lord God, I pray that you would hear our cries, hear our prayers, uh, for your wisdom, for your your guidance, Lord God. I pray that um, as we've we've prayed individually, that we can pray corporately this morning. Uh, we can be unified, and we can um, just be waiting um, expectantly for you to do something really crazy really amazing in our midst. Lord God, help us to um, walk away here uh, submissive to you, uh, humble in front of you, uh, and help us to have ears and eyes and hearts that are open uh, to what you're doing in this place and what you have for this body. Uh, Again, just kind of thinking out to the future uh, in next week, doing a prayer walk. Help us to walk through the city Uh, to pray for those around us, to pray for people that are walking through these streets every single day uh, that might not know you, that might have known you in some uh, regard but have disregarded you perhaps. Help them to come back to you. Help us to uh, not just be a church that walks around and prays but actually takes action uh, and serves your city for your glory. God, help us to to do those things, not to be afraid uh, to reach out and to to serve your city for your glory again. Uh, as far as the pastor search, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us in that regard to, to trust in you, that you've got someone that you've called uh, to Cleveland um, for the long haul that's going to build disciples, uh, going to uh, speak your word and to teach what you've got for this body and for this area, for this city, Lord God. Help us as we go uh, to trust in you. Amen. Thank you guys so much. If anybody does have any questions at all um, in regards to either the pastor search or the space thing, Thomas and I will will be up in the front to kind of field those questions. But um, we're moving forward, as we've been saying, and uh, we want God to lead us on. Have a great day.